Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. I'm Seth Payne. I'm going to be joined by my teammate from the Houston Texans back in the day, Drew Hodgden. We're going to go through this article in The Athletic by Ben Standig that interviewed 33 anonymous NFL agents, and I love anonymous quotes, as long as I can trust that they're valid quotes, and um, and I do believe that these are valid quotes. Some really good insight into how agents feel about the league and a lot of developments in the league. Please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it. Give it a five-star review. That's even better. Here we go. And here he is, Drew Hodgson, my my old teammate and current volunteer high school coach. What 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 age group are you working with right now? Uh, I mean, it's high school, so it's freshman through senior. Yeah, are you mm-hmm. are you coaching offensive line? I am coaching offensive line. Yeah, I'm like the offensive line pseudo assistant offensive coordinator, I guess. Because I actually hard, know. Do you have Do you have a hard time uh, like coaching the basics? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to actually teach somebody how to get down in a three point stance for the first time. Completely. Yeah, it's funny you say that. That's that sounds like you uh, you had the same issue, I guess, if you had done anything like that. But that's totally true. It's yeah. like the the very very fundamentals are way in my rearview mirror. Yeah. So, but I, but I, I you know I always heard these stories about Peyton Manning and Eli Manning going back to their old college coach every year and really just starting back at the bare bones basics that what, but I mean, but they're not learning. Maybe, maybe they are, maybe they are relearning how to regrip the football and everything. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what kept, kept us back, Drew. Maybe we didn't go back and do the, uh, the extreme basics. Yeah. I, I think I had other issues, but yeah, that was the, <laughs> yeah. it's funny though, because you forget all the most basic drills, you know, yeah. the stuff where it's where you just were loathing doing it every day. But I guess at some point you kind of have to go back and do it because you really never do any of that once you get into like the college level. Yeah, I mean, there's there's only so much time allowed out on the field. But anyway, um, the the article that I had seen that piqued my interest this week was in The Athletic, where they did a two-part series. They interviewed and put up anonymous quotes from 33 different NFL player agents. And I, I thought there were some really interesting responses that were maybe a little bit different or that, that were at least from a different perspective from a player or a fan. So let's just jump right in on these. I wanted to get your opinion on this. And, and they started right off with a big hitter. 
Jerry Jones. Well, this is in part two of the article. Jerry Jones, what's your sense of the Cowboys organization and management under Jerry Jones now that it's been 25 years since they won the Super Bowl? And I thought the agent that answered it with the most all-encompassing quote said, they're on a different plane when it comes to the business of football. They don't win big, but they don't have to. There will be 100,000 people at every game. They will still make money all day long. They just crush it. He's the best and worst owner at the same time. But when have you ever met a player that didn't want to play for Dallas? I've had players leave for other teams and then become miserable. That that last part was the part that caught me by surprise a little bit because I guess I never I never got a sense of players all wanting to go play for Dallas. But maybe I I don't know. Maybe that was just me and I didn't realize it. Because I don't I don't think that I don't think that level of scrutiny or that level of fanfare necessarily appeals to all guys as much as a, a select few. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like the first two thirds of that that quote are spot on, and then the last one he sort of lost me because that seems like like self selecting bias a little bit. Yeah, like you're an agent trying to get guys paid. And that's a franchise that historically tends to pay pretty well. So yeah, I'm sure all you guys want to go there and you're asking them and the ones that don't want to go there aren't broadcasting that they don't want to play for a team that might end up paying them. That's so. a really, that's a really good point. Another guy, a couple of guys brought up the no state income tax, which is interesting because that never seems to make a difference in the marquee salaries or when guys want to be the highest paid player, or what have you, they don't seem to factor in the state income tax. I always appreciated it as a player because I grew up in a state that's got ridiculously high state income tax in New York. Um, but like <laughs> I can remember paying state income tax as a as a farmhand, thinking this is bogus, bro. Uh, so, uh, but but I I think I think that this is the thing with agents. I don't think I don't think that state income tax factors in as much because the agent is paying on his share. It doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. if his client if his client gets ten million a year in Texas or ten million a year in New York State, the agent's three percent is just going to get taxed in whatever state he lives in. So he's not really advising. That's not in his, uh, he's not necessarily got that at the top of his mind. No, that always feels like just an extra talking point that gets thrown out by an agent or by the media or by people at large who are thinking about their own career and lifestyle. Like, oh, if I'm working for Xerox for the next 20 years, I really got to think about where my state income taxes. I, I never met a player who actually thought about that in a meaningful way and it affected where they went. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like there's... number 50 <laughs> on the list of 50 things that you're thinking about because who's it appealing to? It's not the super wealthy guys because that's not going to drive it. And yeah. it's not the guys like in the middle or the bottom because they're much more concerned about where they end up. Can they really get a decent deal? They're not that. They're well, not yeah, it's better. To... That, that state income tax doesn't help or hurt you if you just don't make the team so it's a moot point at that point and then and and that's the key is that regardless of what the bottom line number ends up being the top line number is the measure of how much a team values you so that's where if i'm trying to decide between two places and one one place is just flat out giving me more top end money than the other place and i don't care what it factors out to after the income tax is all diced out it feels to me like the one place values me more. And then there's exactly. a little bit of ego to it too. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was another quote in here where the agent basically said that it Dallas might attract the wrong kind of player because of that marquee element. And, and I think what he was saying was 
that the guys that the guys that do care about that stuff tend to like the idea of being a football player more than they actually like playing football in the, right. in the So if you get enough of those guys on a team and it's hard to keep the right culture around. Yeah. Which tracks. I mean, I think it does over time. I mean, it yeah. seems like those are the kinds of guys that get the Redskins kind of seem that way too. Yeah. And I was like Zeke Elliott is almost, I mean, he didn't choose to go there, but it was almost the ideal spot and the absolute worst spot for him. I like, I, you wonder if Zeke Elliott, if he had just gone to a place other than Dallas, if maybe he would have had at least just 50% of the, the public issues that he's had. Or or even not have the ability to withstand whatever kind of scrutiny that they would levy on him because they don't expect to have such character problematic guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel yeah. like a place like Dallas, maybe he can survive because they are used to that and they can withstand that and they don't mind. I feel like in other markets, sometimes they're not going to be as comfortable with it. Oh, I remember, you know what? I remember a time when I wanted to go play for Dallas and it was when I was a rookie and Dave Thomas, who's a cornerback for the Jaguars, who's an awesome older guy, a veteran guy. His locker was next to mine. He's a defensive back. He's just huge defensive back. Like he's like six foot three. Um, but he he was telling me about when he was young in Dallas, how it's kind of tough on a younger player because there's so much, there's so much off-field opportunity. And by that, he meant... Like when you go out as a Dallas Cowboys player, you are the woman in the nightclub, basically. Mm-hmm. Like you are hunted by women the way men typically hunt women in the in in the nightlife. And it just uh, there's he just said basically opportunities abound. And so as a young guy, I was like, well, that that doesn't sound bad at all. But it's but but all the while knowing that maybe that wasn't the best setting for me anyway. I think that would uh, that I, I mean that could that can upend a lot of young dudes if you just you're. It's a different environment in, it is. in Dallas yeah. than it is anywhere else. It's like Texas. It's like Texas high school football, except on a pro level. Right. Yeah. And there's an expectation that you're going to carry yourself like you want the attention and that you're willing to show off, you know, yeah. some amount of notoriety, which is not the case everywhere else. Okay. The qu- second question. Do you think Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer will succeed, especially with full control over the team. And they gave the agents the option to say yes or no. The vote was pretty much split with 17 saying yes, 15 saying no. Did they account for the third, the 33rd vote? Apparently they didn't. So I don't know if that was a, I don't know if that was a, uh, uh, if that was a mail-in ballot or what. Um, but 17 said yes, that he would succeed. Quote, playing with house money has Trevor Lawrence. The AFC South isn't great. And you added the number one pick. Define what success looks like, but I think he'll show some signs, but it's hard to see how he lasts for the long haul with the modern day players. So I guess even that's a that's kind of a tepid endorsement there of wondering how he how he lasts for the long haul. I guess that if it does work, I, they're going to have to show more offensive ingenuity than I've seen so far in the preseason, <laughs> like all the cool different things right. they supposedly are going to do with running backs and in uh, and, and their in, in his whole offensive look, they've been extremely vanilla so far. And I just, I wonder if that's just him being careful not to show too much or show his hand, especially when, especially when there's zero film on urban Meyer in the NFL. Yeah. Or being just in year one and not really sure what he has and not feeling uber confident in what he can really do yet. I mean, it could be any number of things. It's funny because I just think that anybody who had a real definitive take on this is just full of shit. 
Because no, you, there's no way anyone can really know on this one. I don't think. I mean, like as far as the offense or him succeeding. In well, general? I a, I mean, this guy nailed it with his. De- de- you know, how are we defining success? I mean, what yeah. does that mean? Does it mean that he doesn't get fired in three years? Does it just mean that they went go 500 the first couple of years? Uh, you know, right. do you have a winning record? Do you win a couple AFC South titles or something? Right. Or Brian yeah. won four AFC South titles. Is that, was he a success? I don't know. Yeah. I, I would say, you know what? He never felt like a success in Houston. And partly it was because you just, you never, and you never made it out of the divisional round of the playoffs. Well, and he never capitalized on the clear talent that he had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was really what it came down to. And so for him, how much talent do we think the Jaguars have? I think some people would say a lot for the division. Yeah. I mean, they should be able to do something. So it's kind of relative to that. I don't, the easy take is sort of where I lean, which is it just kind of feels like his shtick might not work. Yeah. And there's reports of that already. Pete Prisco had said that a yeah. few of the veteran players didn't like it. It's, I mean, there's a whole lot of symmetry with what happened with Tom Coughlin. Except Coughlin had experience in the NFL. He'd been with the Giants for their Super Bowl with with Parcells and everything. But that first year and a half, it was almost mutiny in Jacksonville under Coughlin. And he had to learn to gradually loosen up and lighten up a little bit. That's the that's the part. The control freak part is the thing that's impossible to figure. Because Urban Meyer knows that he's going to have to change a little bit and deal with guys differently. But how much of it is just ingrained in him? And that he just he he won't be able to because if you look at you look at two coaches that came purely from college and either failed or succeeded wildly in the NFL, Nick Saban, who had also had and Nick Saban had some NFL experience as an assistant coach, but he's a college coach, gets his first job as a as a head coach in the NFL, and he just flamed out and he had all kinds of excuses, but he quit. He just yeah, I mean he quit. He walked away. Mm-hmm. Took the yeah. I mean this worked out well for him, but he quit. Um, where Jimmy Johnson is the opposite. Jimmy Johnson had as much success as anybody's ever had as an NFL coach, basically. Um, but I think the biggest difference was that Jimmy Johnson, even though Jimmy Johnson was super tough and drove his guys hard, he was not a control freak. He just he demanded that guys practice and play their asses off. But he didn't. I mean, to uh, to to notorious degrees, he didn't really care what else they did right. uh, in the locker room, off the field, or or whatever. And that's why I can't. I I don't know if I can see Urban Meyer bending enough to to how he has to be. Well, because Jimmy Johnson sort of ran that same uh, style at the college level. I mean, it's sort of what it looked like. I mean, he didn't look like he was doing it any different than college. Although oh, his, been, his, yeah, University of Miami. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like his mantra was talent reigns supreme. So but, that's how they do it. But he did also have a way. Uh, a manner about him, his methodology with players and the way he treated players. I think a lot of people probably thought, well, that's not going to work in the NFL. You can't be that tough on NFL guys. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was a slightly different era. That was still where there were a lot of coaches that were old school and had brutally physical practices all right. the time. So I don't think it was as much of a change for a lot of those guys. But he was, I mean, he's, he's an interesting guy. He was just a master motivator. And I guess maybe it's that, he had more, he has, he has a real natural knack for people that probably allowed him to get away with being more of a hard ass than even Coughlin or Saban or Urban Meyer could, because I don't think any of those three guys have a, I mean, I mean, those guys famously don't necessarily have a knack for like the personal side right. of things where Jimmy right. Johnson can temper a lot of his hard acidness with like just being a funny and, and uh, a charismatic guy. Oh, yeah. Saban seems like a sociopath. 
and you know other guys at least seem somewhat approachable that the, it's i just i guess i almost reject the premise of them being a control freak because they're all control freaks yeah I mean, there, there's no like they all are every single one of them is it's just a varying degree of how they they treat their players at the college level as though they are the end-all be-all uh-huh. And at the NFL level, a lot of players just are not subscribing to the notion that they can't talk to a coach like he's just a guy. And that's just not really a thing that you see a lot at the college level with those guys. And I, I, it'll be interesting to see because he's had so much success at the college level that it's going to reinforce whatever behavior he has. And it takes a special kind of guy to reject all the things that got them that kind of success at that level to do it again at a different level in a completely different way. Because yeah. if you, you know, all he's had is positive reinforcement. And I know, and, and it might be really ugly for the Jaguars this year. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and I guess that's the, you just, you're not allowed to, uh, you can't go out and recruit an incredible recruiting class in, uh, in, in college football. Now he's, he's had quick turnarounds with other people's recruits. It's just different. And I, I don't know. It's not going to be. I don't think he came in expecting or believing that he's going to win 14 games. But the qu- question people had with him was, you know, what what if he even losing two games is a big deal for Urban Meyer. So right. if you have a good season in the NFL and you go you know, 12 and five, that's is, is he going to be able to handle that level of losing where reportedly after preseason games, he's been walking around in a in a stupor, just angry and fuming after preseason losses. Yeah. And he's going to string together multiple potentially losing seasons that are last 16 plus games. That's that's a lot. OK, here's one that uh, I'm going to have to give a, a, a disclosure on this one, because the question is, how do you feel about the NFLPA and its leadership? Listeners to this podcast know that I've had Eric Winston, the former players president of the NFLPA on. Drew, you're good friends with Eric Winston. Uh, the new president, J.C. Treader, is a Cornell football alum. Uh, so we've got, we've, all, we've got all kinds of conflicts of interest. So uh, I say that as I read maybe the quote that probably summed it all uh, up. The worst player agent, uh, the worst, what, is, what are they saying? Oh, Players Association. The worst players association in all of sports they do not look out for the players, the people at the top are not competent in their jobs. No comparison to some of the other leagues, different stratosphere, unquote. Uh, <laughs> now, the people at the top could be Demora Smith uh, and mm-hmm. some of the other, I guess, civilians will call them, not necessarily the players. Or it could also include the executive council and the, the player uh, players association presidents themselves. I'll say from... I, I think just from talking to various union reps and Eric and other people through the years, I think that the NFLPA is a different beast for a lot of reasons. And maybe the the simplest one is that it's just massive. There's just so many more players in the NFLPA, and it's a sport that it's a sport that has a very very high injury rate. And those are the two variables that kind of make it different than everything else. Yeah, and the number of games. Yeah, I mean yeah. each 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 franchise really only has eight, you know, like eight to ten home games uh-huh. max a year to lean on as what's generating the revenue. I mean, I it's those are all true, and it can also be true that you know we have a great relationship with with guys involved and everything else, but that it's a problem that persisted long before they got there. 
Yeah. I mean, that's been an issue going back way before when you and I were playing, when Gene Upshaw was involved. And yeah, that's all. Yeah, like, a lot of people had issues with Gene Upshaw. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. And that's why I've, I've tried to figure it out because I think it's true that, that I, like, I hear some of the, the baseball people, man, when they talk, there is just zero cooperation between the league and the players. And the, the, the players just flat out don't care how bad they piss off the owners. Right. I don't know. I, I guess with the NFL, I think there's always been more of a I, I think from the Players Association side, there's been more of a spirit of cooperation or being business partners. The problem with that is that you're dealing with 32 billionaires, all of whom or many of whom are just flat out sharks. Uh, and yes. the reason yeah. the way you get to be and stay a billionaire, right. even if you're not the person that became the billionaire because you're second or third generation, you've learned how to stay a billionaire. And that's that comes from watching out for numero uno, you know, to sometimes to an extreme degree. Yeah. With decades of professional experience in negotiating in yeah. most cases, yeah. and an army of lawyers that they you know, have in their back pocket on top of the fact that they are largely and I'm painting with a broad brush, but negotiating in bad faith. And the other side on the player side is his position themselves to be negotiating in good faith more often than not. And it does not work out well. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the owners flat out stole from the players a few years right. ago. Like they, yeah. they lied about revenue that, yeah. that they were supposed to share with the, the players. And they just flat out said, now nah, we're keeping this. So the players had, the players had to go to arbitration to get the money that was just plainly and obviously theirs. Oh, there's a certain segment yeah. of the, there's a certain segment of the revenue stream. Yeah, and imagine if that happens in one of the other leagues. Yeah, with the response yeah. by the players. Right, Are you right. Kidding me? That it would it would not fly. With yeah. The others, so I, in the, this last CBA, the owners did a really smart and savvy thing, which was they just they threw out a whole bunch of benefits for like the I guess the lower class players, the minimum yeah. players, like a whole lot of stuff that was very enticing for really the 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 bottom let's say the 55% base of the electorate. So there are enough guys at the bottom. Then there were guys at the top that just flat out wanted to get paid. And, and there you go. I think the, the one thing that I get annoyed with sometimes is when like players themselves don't quite understand it. And they'll start complaining about how right. uh, the, the CBA didn't include guaranteed contracts. Uh, basketball and baseball don't have that in their collective bargaining agreements, or at least they didn't. Maybe in one of the recent ones, they updated it. Like that's that's negotiated by the players, and it became precedent individually. So those contracts are for the lar- for the most part, most of them ended up being guaranteed. But it's not it's not something that's that's provided by the CBA. So I mean, like Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins got a guaranteed contract by just flat out signing a guaranteed contract. Russell Wilson almost got one um, or could have if he had insisted on it. And I, I think that over time, that might happen more. But I am I kind of a sucker to see the owner's side of this and, and say that, look, man, there's so many injuries. Like It's it's a different sport. <laughs> it's, it's hard to fully guarantee a contract in a sport where everybody's injured all the time. I guess it goes back. I mean, that's, that's to- obviously a valid point. I also think that it's all relative to... You know, I mean, what are we debating? Are we debating that, you know, is the PA like a complete sham top to bottom? Or are we debating that is it reasonable to expect that there's pushback on guaranteed contracts from the team perspective? I mean, my my position is that they're getting the players are getting fleeced. They're not they're not using the leverage they have, whether it's fair or not to expect a guaranteed contract. It's completely irrelevant 
to what that's kind of like the player's traditional perspective is i got you you're yeah, right you're that's, right that's why we're getting hosed i'm like i don't really care whether it's fair or not is not the point you're the right point is do the players have the clout to push something like that yes i'm do. doing they should. You're, you're exactly they should right do i'm not. doing it's, the i'm doing the yeah. exact thing that i was just describing which was <laughs> But I think that's why, Sean, uh, look, I think that's why we're suckers. I think it's because of the nature of the sport and the guys that succeed in football. You, there is a part of you, I think more so in football players, that where you're you're a team player and you're a little bit perhaps of a uh, a conformist. Uh, You you respond to discipline, like all those things. And that makes us absolute suckers. That's where And and you've been conditioned to always consider someone who even is perceived as an authority figure to be in charge of anything related to what you're a part of. And so someone walks in with a suit on, he might be a complete clown and have no idea what he's talking about can be, but your, your instinct is to just kind of roll with whatever he's suggesting. That's that's just just how it is. We're just compliant little. Yeah. You're compliant. You're totally compliant. We're we're like those big elephants that can be held by a shoelace because they've been trained to be held by a shoelace. But it's not even, it's not even unfair or unreasonable either, because what do you know? You don't know anything. I mean, you, 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 you probably didn't spend a whole lot of time negotiating when you were in your college courses, you know? And so I have like, not not even you personally, I just mean all these guys who are coming out. It's like, what are they supposed to know? Yeah. I would tell you how horrible a negotiator I am uh, and give you stories, but I don't want any of our listeners to, try to take <laughs> to advantage of me in the future. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, exactly. almost in every negotiation, I get to a point where I'm like, oh, God, I'm so hungry. You. Come on. Can we just <laughs> get to lunch? I'm like, awesome. this is really like, this is going a lot longer than I thought it would. Right. Uh, so uh, speaking of which, uh, how do you see the name, image, and likeness, the NIL permissions factoring into your recruiting of draft boxes? Just think, just in case anybody listening doesn't know what NIL is, uh, this is the NCAA has now had to allow players uh, by decree of the Supreme Court to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. Our institutions aren't allowed to play, pay NCAA players, but uh, sponsors can. They can sell. They can get paid to tweet. They can do all these things. There's some rules and restrictions, but not nearly as many pe- as people thought there would be. It's really right. the wild, wild west right now. This was the part. This was the part, Drew, that caught me by surprise. And it Same. would sound almost like a conspiracy theory. Uh, but this guy says he's seen it multiple times. So these agents are breaking the rules. They're going to mom and pop stores in towns like these college towns, presumably, and giving them money to give the kid a deal to sign them and then lock them up. So the agents, the agents aren't allowed to represent them as players, but they can yeah. represent them for name, image and likeness. So now these agents are getting into the gig basically and saying they'll go to, you know, Bob's Electronics Emporium and say, hey, listen, Bob, why don't you pay this? Why don't you pay this kid, you know, five thousand dollars? to do some autograph signings or something mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and just allow me to, and then, and then this agent represents that kid and, and the kid I'm guessing doesn't even have a clue about it. He thinks he's actually just uh, that, that marketable. And then bam, the, the agents are hooked up with him. Yeah. This, I mean, this is the most underappreciated, most insane element of what's going on in sports. I think like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to the next three to five years of this is just going to be bizarre litigation. 
it's going to be a tons and lots of new laws and, and regulations, regulations, I'm sure coming to bear because of it. And then you're going to go from, like you said, representing Bob's electronics in whatever small college town to them during the commercial break, the quarterback for the, for Alabama being on like a Geico commercial. Yeah. Like it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Plus uh, drew I, I, that's at the top end. What I worry about for some of these kids, and, and I'm not I'm not wringing my hands over this. It's just fascinating to watch because it's going to be so new to so many people. And there seems to be very little regulation of any of it. But I worry about some of these kids who who are going to get a certain amount of money in endorsements and they'll get a 1099 at the end of the year, but yeah. not realize or understand that they got to pay taxes on this stuff. It's yeah. different than, you know, it happens with NFL players, but you're already having your taxes withheld and yeah. you're making a lot of money. So some guys don't understand or get it with their endorsement money. But I, I mean, there's <laughs> kids that are going to like getting well, that's, brought that's up how, on uh, tax evasion charges. Yeah, you know? completely. And it's going to happen. And that's how utterly pathetic the handling of it by the NCAA has been, where yeah. they completely are caught flat footed. It seems like they didn't somehow see any of this coming, even though they've had 50 years to prep for this moment completely weren't ready for it and now there's no awareness no I, you think they're training any of these kids for those situations not at all yeah like it's, 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 it's a little bit it's yeah. honestly it's like france in world war ii where they realized right. like oh you know what this is uh strategically i think we actually just have to stand down here exactly i don't ready. like to bag on france because france like france france fought their asses off in world war one you know and it led to a whole lot of issues for them not being prepared for world war two mm. but mm-hmm. so so i'm not trying to like uh belittle the french people themselves or anything but in yeah in world war two they just they they realized that okay uh you know uh, resistance is futile here you go and yeah, that's we're in what a the bad NCAA spot, did. it turns out yeah they, yeah but they and because of that they just they just opened the floodgates they they just allowed <laughs> anything and everything to happen exactly the worst case scenario is what's happening yeah i mean I, the worst case scenario i don't know though i we'll see i think some guys well, relative to there, there are very few actual huge names in college football anymore. It's not it's not like it used to be, I think, because at least most guys are leaving pretty early after they have their huge good season or as soon as they can. I don't know. I I, I feel like the, the names are relative to the amount of branding and marketing that can be done on their likeness already well right? and, and and so especially like, in college you're about towns. to see a lot more names yes. but especially in college names. towns they are huge names because these are a lot exactly. of times yeah. small cities yeah. you know like think of a, a college station austin's an exception think about some of the some of the other places where mm-hmm. big time college programs are there are small cities that don't necessarily have the same equivalent as okay you know, Houston might have James Harden or or whomever else, uh, like a big business in Houston. Exactly. Do that. These yeah. smaller cities don't have anybody like that. Now, all of a sudden they do. So that yep. those those guys will be in demand, especially for local stuff. A city of 100,000 or 500,000 is a can have like a mega superstar all of a sudden by their standards. Yeah, they weren't able yep. to before. Hmm. I'm thinking about myself. I had um, I, I, I met Brian Bosworth. A couple weeks ago, I ended up going to a, a wrestling first time. Ride. Yeah, that was my I first figured time you would. Ride. I figured you would have bumped into him a handful. Of really? Times, just put, like on Radio Row or something. I, figured yeah, I would... so. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. But I was um, 
we went to a an AEW wrestling event because we had a mutual- <laughs> okay yeah 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 we've got a mutual friend uh, this guy named Wallace Marsh who's a huge Oklahoma booster and that's how he knows Bosworth okay um, so he he brought uh, Sean Pendergast and me and Brian Bosworth and then Wallace's son we all went to this AEW wrestling event but Bosworth knew Sting they had done a movie together back in the day. And wow. Sting, the wrestler, not Sting, the musician, Sting, the yeah. wrestler <laughs> was, uh, was 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 wrestling at this one at this event. And it was really, really cool. Um, but it's funny because because Bosworth was the first guy I thought of when it came to what would NAIL have been like back in the day. Yeah. You know, he yeah. would have been. I mean, the thing about Bosworth, right. think about yeah. a guy like Bosworth with social media. If he had that back in the 80s, he would have yep. just been a monster. He was like a cross-cultural phenomenon. There You're were right. like just kids all over America had that haircut because because they loved the Boz. And like he would have he would have cleaned up. He would have made and he would have known how to do it too. Like he had You're a right. player for showmanship. He was singular. There really have never even been that many that have had that kind of clout i guess in the media or anything else like even even after that i think of like the guys all through i mean miami is a good example but even like usc around really like when i was in college when they had that string under pete carroll yeah with liner and they're in a they're in a market like la with liner mike williams reggie bush and those guys i mean i feel like they would have absolutely just been off the charts with any kind of endorsement or anything else i remember being really annoyed by usc just because uh was it was was benny Jopru good friends with liner were they were they buddies or something or did it just yeah, seem like maybe. they would be yeah we all kind of we all kind of were in the same circle along with like dave and everybody else from that area dave ragone yeah current quarterback yeah. or i was like an Ander- anderson but yeah oh okay okay yeah. um I I just remember that how annoying that argument. I, I just remember before the national championship game, all these pieces on ESPN talking about whether or not USC was the greatest football program ever. That two year stretch or what have you mm-hmm. ever, before the game was even played, and uh, that was when, that was the day I became a true Texan. I was uh, I was you know, <laughs> the right that these Californians, they ain't Yankees, they ain't Southerners. They're just they're just yeah, yeah yeah they're just way better than us at football. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. You're a California high school guy. Mm. I saw mm. that matter, matter Day. Is that what is it? Matter Day just beat up yeah. some Texas high school football team. I saw I, there's nothing, nothing more pathetic than uh, interstate football smack talk on Twitter, but I saw a bunch it, of it. it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, embarrassment <laughs> of riches, I guess. All right, real quick. If you were granted power over all things in and around the NFL, what's the one thing? What's the one change you would make? Guaranteed contracts. I feel we, we've talked enough about guaranteed contracts. That got the most votes, especially you can imagine from agents, especially they're going right. to be voting for more guaranteed contracts. Uh, eliminate the franchise tag. Is that possible or desirable? Well, I, I mean, A, I don't know. I don't understand like the vagaries of the franchise tag and how they yeah. affect like players directly versus what they could get otherwise and all that stuff. And then that ties to me. It all kind of trickles down from the contract issues right so it's like if you have guaranteed contracts then does the franchise tag become a different thing entirely and so it's kind of a it's kind of difficult to understand that one for me personally uh eliminate the uh excuse me eliminate drug testing for marijuana that got three votes i thought it would be more but then i remembered that the nfl is basically decriminalized marijuana the equivalent of decriminalizing it so now from an agent's perspective they're not going to have clients getting suspended nearly as easily 
for testing positive for marijuana. And it's already kind of hard to test. Like, you got to try to test positive for marijuana. It's Right. Like, it's That's really, what I was going to say. It's once a year, and there's a threshold. The threshold isn't as high as it is in some other sports or even for the IOC. Um, unless maybe I missed that. They might have raised it in the last collective bargaining agreement but it's um it's it's not from from what people have told me and i'm on like, i'm not like winking as i say this or anything i wasn't a big pot smoker at all um but guys guys were never i i just never met any guys that were all that concerned about it right yeah i feel like maybe they um this what they're saying with eliminating drug testing is more of like a cipher for a- allow all recreational drugs to be used is yeah. kind of what I kind of feel like that's supposed to we just don't have like employers shouldn't be legislating this stuff for monitoring. Yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It doesn't affect like if they're if it's affecting your on field for performance, then you're not going to be playing. So the uh, unrestricted free agency after three years or an earlier negotiating window that got two votes. I like honestly, I'm pretty laissez faire when it comes to this. I, I, I feel like the most American thing and the most interesting thing and maybe the, ultimately the best thing for competitive balance would just be to open it up to free agency. Like just, totally I mean, yep. it's, you know, it, the, the, screw the draft, just have a bidding period. And if teams overspend and they make bad decisions, then they'll pay the price for it down the line. Um, and that, that probably without thinking it through too thoroughly, uh, like I, I feel like that would negate a lot of the incentive to tank because you're still, you're going to get the same amount of cap space, you know, as everybody else all the time. And it's, it's up to you to do with what, if you, if you manage it well and do make better decisions, uh, you can vault yourself up. Yeah. I could see how it would administratively just be like a complete nightmare. And yeah. maybe that's, that's part of it. But I, beyond even just the, uh, rookies coming into the league and how that's managed i am generally just a proponent of just free agency being possible throughout the entire season period yeah like, i mean i just think you should be able to trade and make moves oh without any kind of you, uh you know mike Meltzer, my old co-host who you know well because uh because you actually hung out with him in chicago for a little bit right um yeah, scared scared him from his i his, yeah let me tell you what he's his old take was and then you can tell the story of scaring him um <laughs> uh and then we've got a story about paul gallant another one of my old co-hosts that you had to run yeah into. uh so okay Meltzer's Meltzer's take is that you should allow uh tampering open like just no yeah. rules on tampering which I, at first I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard, but the more I thought about it, and especially now that I'm a wrestling fan, because I've been to one event and I'm kind of into it, um, I say, yeah, more drama, the better. Allow tampering, allow, allow, uh, allow publicly proclaiming how much you'd love to sign this other, this, this guy who's going to be a free agent. I, that would make things way more interesting. Oh, it would. It's, I feel like it's very much like a media person's take on yeah, it, right? Yeah. Like the amount of stories generated. If oh, yeah. teams were just openly trying to court and woo different players or the opposite, like, yeah, we really just cannot stand this guy. We'd love to swap him out for three others. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, just, yeah, that would be way more interesting. I can see how it just would be a, a to- total debacle for each okay. individual team. So Mike Meltzer, Mike Meltzer is a very buttoned up guy. And uh, awesome, awesome guy. But my old co-host, he's very buttoned up. I th- that's the way I'd put him. You know, he's kind of yeah. rigid and, you know, just like the, likes things a certain way. Not a big drinker at all, at all. No, like, he's not opposed to drinking. He'll have a drink or two. But if he has more than two drinks, it's pretty exceptional. So um, that's that's how I'll set this up. He he was up in Chicago and went out, went out one night with you guys when he was up visiting. 
Yeah, he came. I I was out there with. I had a, a another former teammate from ASU, and he played in the league for you know I think like ten years or something. But Scott Peters, who I think you may have actually played against at some point, but you know, great player, not necessarily known for his. Um, oh gosh, his propriety, just in general, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a br- brilliant guy, like super sharp um, as all offensive linemen are, obviously. Yeah. Uh, he. You know, he was there, he was visiting. So we were going out, just kind of catching up. I hadn't seen the guy in a while. And Mike happened to be there too. So we all went out and kind of did the typical Chicago thing. And like you said, I mean, Mike is more of like a cerebral kind of sports analyst type. Yeah. I mean, that's like he approaches all those things like as individual problems and all the angles, which is great. Um, I don't know if he was used to actually going out with us in that way. And it would surprise me because from co hosting with you and being in this space, I thought he would have been more exposed to just like drunk neanderthals just getting kind of yeah yeah to some extent like we were not the way mike describes it i think he makes it seem like we were about to get in a fist fight yeah in public which yeah. was not that was not the case yeah was, okay yeah yeah you're yeah. run of the mill kind of you, like, you guys you were know. just arguing about something right yeah we were yeah. just arguing and being obnoxious and huge yeah i know, know? The, <laughs> i think that's i think the size has something to do with it and maybe that yeah i don't think he's been around a lot of guys just acting like damn fools um right. or yes yeah, it's because i remember when uh the first couple times i went out with him i think what he was he kept saying something like it's like I we I just don't I just know what would happen if we if you go, got out of control like how would somebody control you? Yeah, exactly. I, I've made it this far without being arrested or anything. Like <laughs> I don't like the wheels that I started turning in his head were if this plays out in a certain kind of way, no one can stop this. Oh no yeah, that's stop this. Like who's gonna like, break he, up a fight or who's yeah, gonna who's stop gonna him? Stop? I, what if I get rolled roped into this somehow? Am I gonna be in, in danger? Like it was funny. You, you know what I bet there. it was. I bet it was him. Um, remember that? Do you remember that video of Richie Incognito with his shirt off in a bar in Florida? Yeah, he was like going do. around, yeah. just freaking out. It looked, it yeah. looked like he'd just done a ton of coke or something, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. was just like shaking his fist and saying Mike, Mike, motherfucking Pouncy or something like that. He was yeah. out with the Pouncy brothers. Um, and I, when you watch something like that, that is the thought you have. Like, who's going to, like, tether this elephant down? How the, like, how the hell are you going to stop somebody like that? Well, but, you're going but, through, like, the actual logistics of it. Like, do we need a yeah. net? How does this how do we slow this down? <laughs> but, but that's Richie Incognito, who's, like, a one in a – literally a one in 10,000 offense for, for NFL players. Like, I, yeah. by, all, by all standards, there's he's one yeah. of a kind. I don't know if I've ever run across anybody like Richie Incognito Agreed. in person. Agreed. So I think that was probably his worst case scenario. It was like, what? How would we actually stop this or control? Things? Oh, I felt I when I heard that he was he was so flustered after I was I was offended. Oh, I really? felt like personally a little like, <laughs> who am I? You've known me. What did you think was going to happen? I am. Yeah. This, like, who do you think I am? I'm not just like a, this unhinged you, monster out there. You know, there's something to that, Drew. Because uh, I, like, I mean, maybe it's a, it's a justified thought because. When I was in college, there was this thing called the Sphinx Head Society, which at Cornell is this it's a service organization where they take a few kids from like different groups around campus as representatives. It's kind of supposed to be a secret organization, kind of. Um, but they they bring in you're supposed to work on charitable good good works to do, uh, do charitable deeds around town and everything. And they do that now. Um, 
because they had to reform. Because back when I was uh, when I was inducted into it, it was kind of going through maybe a, a, a less philanthropic phase. And <laughs> this this century old organization had turned basically into a drinking club for a few guys from your right. sports team. So yeah, like it did. turned into yeah. it was it was cool. It was a lot of fun because it would be. <laughs> It was like once uh, once every couple of weeks or so you would go and you would drink at the Sphinx Club. And it was just a couple guys from the junior class and a couple guys from the senior class from each of the, the male varsity sports teams. And then right. maybe another couple organizations. But it, so there were there were a few lacrosse players. There were a few um, football players, a few soccer players, the, the ice hockey guys. I always felt like they should have had a lot more allowed in because they were so much fun. Um, right. So it was really cool. But the. But the night, and I didn't really know what was going on or what was happening. The, I, like, I had never really heard about it or, or thought to ask what it was or anything. My junior year, the night I got inducted, they stormed into my room. Like, these like six dudes, two of whom I knew, but six guys storm in and jump on me. And, and, and one of them, somebody had gotten me word like a half hour before they're like, Seth, just go with it. All right. Listen, something's about to happen. It's all cool. Don't worry about it. Just go with it. So I was like, all right. So I knew uh, something was going on and it felt like, okay, this is some kind of an induct induction or something. Right. Um, but, but I was like, but I feel like I should put up a fight. I don't want to look like a punk. So, <laughs> so like, <laughs> I'm not going to sell out completely. You wouldn't kid. want me in this club if I just caved instantly. Right, exactly. So one of the kids, Pat Cullen, told me afterwards, he was like, we jumped, we ran in there and we jumped on top of you and you stood up with all of us on you. <laughs> and I was thinking like, what the hell are we going to do? <laughs> what, are we, what happens now, guys? This is uncharted territory. He jumped on me. I was on the ground. I had six guys and I just stood up like a giant. You know? With people draped all over me and then i kind of just looks like oh oh no oh dear gosh where, it's where like a tranquilized bear they, yeah. yeah they put a back or a bag over your head and everything they take right. you out i definitely couldn't shed you like so many dead leaves <laughs> if i needed to but that's what he was thinking like man if he decides to really start fighting <laughs> right that's sure. a, i think that's the thing if you're a giant getting attacked by six normal sized people you really only have to beat up a couple of them to scare off enough of the other ones. You want to be really, really violent with the first one. Like That's exactly right. You want to hurt him bad. Like yeah. you want to get you want to get medieval on his ass to try to put some doubt into the other people's minds. Correct. You want to make you my, want to make a real statement in that like, first few seconds. You want to yeah. you want to take out some hunks of flesh. Um, all, right. all right. Well, I'll uh, the, uh, we'll save the Paul Gallant story for another time because Gallant for people who listen to the radio show here in Houston know Paul Gallant, but people on the podcast have heard him too. So, all right, buddy. Um, lot but people on the podcast have heard him too so all right buddy um yeah enjoy your weekend of football and yeah we'll circle back here in a few days you can tell the paul gallant story 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.